You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Back in with the Lions 24 7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. Excited about this episode. We've got two of 24 7 Sports' very best joining us right here on the show. Brian Doan, a little bit later, the fantastic national recruiting analyst that you hear from pretty frequently here on the podcast, but I don't think we've had him on since the season started. So we've got a lot to catch up on about the 2023 class development. He actually just put a crystal ball in uh, midweek here. Uh, we'll get to that with him and a lot more, including some 2024 momentum that's now being built for the Nittany Lions and Rodney Gallagher's recruiting development, still committed to West Virginia in, uh, in Happy Valley last weekend. Uh, Brian's been all over that process. But we're going to begin with focus on the transfer portal here on this episode because get ready, folks, next week. If you have not heard already, um, it is going to be a massive, massive player exodus from a lot of programs. Uh, some surprises will be seen, uh, and we're going to have to gauge what Penn State is dealing with in terms of who's leaving the program and certainly their strategy of who they're targeting, what they're looking to bring in. It hasn't been a high volume of transfers that Penn State has brought in over the years that the portal has been open, but the hit rate has been very high, and it's been very important to them producing multiple starters here and now in a few consecutive seasons. To get good perspective on what lies ahead and how things have changed in college football, we bring in our good friend Chris Hummer right now uh, back to the Lions 24-7 podcast. He has been on before. We try to get you on, I think, on an annual basis. And every single year, Chris, this gets to be a more complex conversation. I know that you are having a hard time coming up for air these days with your fantastic coverage. No one covers the portal like you do. Please follow him on Twitter. It'll help you a lot in the coming weeks and months and years. How have things changed since we were going into last winter? And why have things changed? Well, we have some new rules, and I, I know rules are boring for people. It's like the stupid thing you have to read before you get on the roller coaster, right? Like, you got to be this tall or whatever. But I think it is pretty important in this case. Um, this offseason, the NCAA instituted transfer windows. Um, so whereas before, players could basically enter at any time, be it a week after the season was over or early June, they're now limited to a essentially a 45-day period. Um, in December, and then another 15-day period in April. Um, this was designed to both slow transfer portal movement and to protect schools. Um, we've seen a lot of tampering in the offseason. I can think of several examples where players were going in well after spring ball, and it kind of wrecked roster projections. So the NCAA was trying to protect that. Um, so we're going to see a much more concentrated um, group of players entering at the same time. And the other one is um, we now have unlimited roster, not rosters, we had unlimited signing classes. Um, Tyler, you know well that before teams were limited to only 25 players a cycle, be it high school or transfer players. Now they can sign as many as they want as long as they stay under their 85-player cap. So we're going to see some 30- and 40-man recruiting classes this year. Uh, we're going to see a lot of players moving on because, unfortunately, a 
side effect of this is players are going to get run off in college athletics, but it's just going to create a ton of movement. Isn't the elephant in the room at least one of the elephants? I feel like the NCAA has several of them residing in whatever room they're occupying. But the one for me is that COVID year and just the fact that programs are going to be dealing with it. It's, you know, it, it's not over just because you, you've had a couple of senior cycles phase out. The freshmen who were on campus in 2020, they could be part of the college football equation through 2025 for your team. How much is that aspect that, that so many players have this extra season of eligibility in their pocket? I mean, here at Penn State, we're trying to speculate. We're trying to figure out what four or five, six guys are going to do with, with this extra year, whether they use it at the NFL, use it with another program, use it here at Penn State. How does that impact the transfer portal and general roster construction right now? Yeah, I mean, like in another in another world, there's no way um, Sean Clifford is on campus for six years at Penn State. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and maybe Penn State's quarterback situation looks a lot different. You've obviously had some movement in the portal the last couple of days with Penn State. And obviously Drew Aller is also looming over the situation. But it, it affects everything. Like schools have to do the calculus on which fifth and sixth year seniors they're willing to keep. And the ones that they're not, like they're going to go in the portal and that'll greatly increase numbers. Um, it gives other schools more options if they are looking to move on. And we've seen it hurt high school players too. Like there were, I think 500 fewer high school players that signed two years ago. I think that number was closer to 300, um, at least compared to the 2019 cycle um, last year. So it affects everything. And, there's a reason why we've seen transfer portal numbers go up every year. Last year, we were at 3,000 in the FBS. And I think some people expect that to be closer to 3,500 or 4,000 this year, just because of the amount of players that can enter. And you would think we would run out of um, potential entrance at some point. But with all four classes having that extra year of eligibility, you have essentially every year, you're going to see a lot of those guys have to explore their options based on the situation they have with their COVID year. So it's, it creates a lot of extra bodies in the portal. You referenced the transfer portal, you know, impacting the Penn State quarterback room. We got word this week that that Christian Veyer, who's going to be approaching Richard sophomore status in 2023, he'll be hitting the portal when he can. Um, year two, he, he lost the QB2 job. Year one, he won the QB2 job. He got to play a bit in 2021, uh, pretty much the entire game against Rutgers, put up some good film there, had an opportunity to get some snaps this year as QB3, but certainly not a lot of work. What does the next step look like for a guy like him? I know that you have covered a bunch of these QB transfer portal movements and no position is under that spotlight more. Here's a guy that has eligibility through, I think it's 2025, if I'm correct here. And, and he's got the talent and I expect him to land with a power five program. What does his life look like right now? Especially that he's put out this, Hey, I intend to do this. And now he's got this bit of a window before the window truly opens up. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I think you can put transfer quarterbacks in the buckets, and I guess it really just depends on how you want to think about it. Um, but I, I tend to think of it this way. There are the no doubt we're going to start next year superstars, and then those guys are going to go wherever they want, and they'll have a ton of options. There's the um, experienced quarterback who could help you um, and could potentially start for you, but it's going to be a secondary option, likely going to end up at the G5 level. Um, then I think there's guys like Christian who are former elite recruits, top tier talents that have a little bit of proven ability. We obviously saw him in the bowl game last year, play pretty well, like very athletic player as well, who are more long-term projections for teams, the more traditional transfer. We're talking about this ahead of, um, this podcast and those players are really valuable because Christian, I believe will have three years of eligibility left. Yep. Like he can go in and compete for a spot next year and he might end up starting wherever he goes, but he's also valuable because if you're 
a power five program projecting your room in the long term. Like he's a valuable backup in the short term and a potential starter over a longer period of time. So he is probably going to have a ton of options because those players are very useful to have in your room. They can both help your present and your future. Whereas a grad transfer um, is only like a one-year band-aid. Um, Christian, with the amount of time he has left, is a bridge quarterback and that he helps your present and your future. And he's also kind of like just an added recruit with the amount of eligibility he has remaining. So I, I think he'll have plenty of suitors. And it sounds like this staff, and, and, and if, if teammates need be, would be willing to, to write him a recommendation letter as he looks for his next step. They, they spoke very highly of how he handled the dynamic. And the dynamic is that they're all in on Drew Aller. If it wasn't clear before, uh, we're, we're, I assume going to see him get some involvement in the postseason. And then we expect the keys to be handed over to him, getting ready for spring ball and being the first different quarterback that we've seen here since 2017. <laughs> so it's, it's a bit a long time. With that in mind, though, you know the clock is always ticking on, on, on uh, being worried about that transfer for your five-star quarterback and trying to make sure he's in a good situation, set up for success. He's comfortable. He's got the supporting pieces. They've got Drew for this year. He's going to be a sophomore. What do you think about the, such the movement among players like a Drew Aller, and what does Penn State need to get right here in their in the second year with him to ensure that he doesn't add it, that kind of a name to a list, that it continues to grow cycle by cycle by cycle? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I'd be surprised if Drew ever left. Like Penn State is a top 10 team right now, and like he's going to be handed the keys to a really good program. So I I don't anticipate that happening, but I mean, we're in an era where almost 70% of four- and five-star quarterbacks transfer once in their career. It's um, insane. As as never. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really wild. And that's from 2017 to 2019, those classes. And I would bet, given that when I did that data work a year ago, the number's even higher because some of those players hadn't had the opportunity to transfer yet. Um, so, but anyway, we were talking about Penn State. I, for me, it's the offensive line. Like, I know that unit was better this year, but I think outside of some big chunk plays that we saw from Nick Singleton and stuff, like that unit's still not consistent enough. I don't know if you have the same read on the situation. We're feeling, we're feeling a lot better about this group than we were going into the season. And the news that Olu Fashion is sticking yeah. around is big. And they've, they've cultivated depth. I think the pieces are there. Um, and I think maybe the, the question is more directly tied to the coaching staff more than it is the pieces around you. I mean, that's what we see, right? We see a guy like Caleb Williams. Sure, he seemed comfortable, comfortable in Oklahoma until he didn't. And, and then he felt comfortable with Lincoln Riley. And I suppose that is the biggest thing. And even while Penn State was dealing with some offensive struggles midway through the season – uh, it, it was tough to – if you wanted to pin a lot of those on Mike Yersich, it's tough to go too far down that road because he's the guy who won that recruitment, got Drew Aller here. Yeah. It just seems like there is so much attachment, I guess, between that five-star quarterback and the staff that brought them in. So not only are you juggling that transfer portal, but you're also juggling the fact that you've got to keep a staff intact and you've got to juggle – you know, you've got to be able to manage the egos in that room once it becomes clear that a guy who has two years of eligibility is going to be your guy. Yeah, for sure. And you, I mean, I've, I've met her. He doesn't, I don't think he seems like the type of person, at least to me, that it's going to rock the boat. And I mean, I'm, I'm familiar from Mike Yurtsich all the way back to his time at Oklahoma State. And I think, I think he could, I think he's a pretty good offensive coordinator. Maybe give him a little time on that perspective. But yeah, I mean, obviously huge news for Penn State this week uh, with a top 10 pick potentially coming back at tackle. Um, but you've got the skill pieces. Um, and you've got the quarterback. Uh, the defense has been there. You just have to figure out a way to get over that Michigan and Ohio State hurdle. But 
Yeah. I think yeah. <laughs> Rollers in a position to elevate the program as opposed to flee the program, if that makes sense. Like I think I think Penn State's in a position to make a run with Drew Rollers as quarterback. Yeah, I guess I wasn't trying to cast that voodoo on Drew here by bringing him up. I was more so trying to juxtapose it with what else you ever seen because there's so many fan bases that cling their hopes to these kind of prospects, and all of a sudden they've been on campus 18 months, maybe 24 months, and they're gone. Um, feels like Penn State has their long-term piece here at quarterback. Uh, let's let's move it on to bigger picture here. Um, looking at what's going to happen on Monday, can you talk us through basically – the earliest moments uh, of what you're expecting uh, from that moment as this window opens up and how quickly do you need to make your move if you have a chance at all with some of these top flight players or have those moves already been made? Yeah, I think a lot of the top flight players will know where they're going for the most part. Um, I think we're in an era where if you're a really good player entering the portal, you've been working back channels for a long time. I think some players honestly don't know where they're going. We'll see a lot of that. And there will be decisions to be made, but Monday's going to be crazy. I bet we see over, I would say, 500 to 1,000 names in the portal in one day, um, especially with compliance having a heads up ahead of time of who's going in. Um, so it's just going to be a crazy day. Um, there will be surprises. Like I'm hearing some names that could enter that I know would surprise some people. Um, not to tease, but um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, It'll be it'll be a really fascinating day. It's just I had somebody put it to me this way: December fifth is going to be the most important day on the college football calendar moving forward, and I do believe that um, it is a supercharged version of free agency. Um, every team in the country will be impacted. There's not a single team that won't have a player under the portal. There's not a single team that doesn't need a transfer addition, maybe outside of Clemson, because um, that's just how Dabo does it. But yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be chaos, um, but it it's gonna be fun to follow. You mentioned supercharged version of free agency. I'm glad you phrased it that way because it's not like if a guy's on your team and he's committed to you and he signs with you, that it's a five-year contract. You know, it's a year-by-year, season-by-season, seemingly moment-by-moment This anymore in college football. How much of that is playing a role with the NIL? How much is that hand-in-hand right now? Um, guys with a program, uh, and it may be a top 25 program, but because the top – five percent of college football has the financial possibilities with nil that the rest of the world doesn't how much of a how much of a curveball is that kind of tossing into the mix right now oh it's huge um for example on sunday i reported that missouri wide receiver dominic lovett is going to enter the portal uh, when the portal opens he was the third leading receiver in the sec this year really really good player and have a ton of options and I mean, based on what I've heard, like a reason, part of the reason why he went in the portal is NIL related. Um, Missouri paid Luther Burden a lot of money to be at school. Obviously, Luther was a top five recruit in the um, 2022 class and Dominic didn't have the chance to do NIL coming up. And I think that's part of the reason why he decided to explore his options. Um, last offseason, uh, Texas wide receiver Xavier Worthy was offered mid six figures to leave for uh, a Pac-12 school, um, Texas was able to match, but we see that all the time. I had somebody in the ACC last week tell me that one of their players was offered a seven-figure deal to enter the portal um, and go somewhere else. So we're we're seeing a ton of that. I don't think NIL is everything. It's one of those things where I think it's blown out of proportion a little bit, but especially for the top guys, like there's serious money on the line. And I think if it comes down to one school versus the other, and like one school is going to offer you an extra couple hundred thousand dollars, it can make all the difference. And I guess last thing on that, I know I'm rambling, is I think we're going to see a lot of players leverage their schools. I think you could see players under the portal you don't expect 
just to have some leverage over their team to draw out more NIL dollars. We're just kind of in that spot right now. So you're suggesting that you're putting your name in that transfer portal, not necessarily to hear from other schools, but to get your school at the bargaining table. Yeah, I think we could see that for sure. Um, okay. I, I, I don't have any specific examples in my mind of what's going to happen, but that's just something I've had a couple people speculate to me that I believe. It makes sense. Time. It makes sense to me. I mean, yeah. it is, it, it makes complete sense to me. Uh, Chris, when you look ahead um, and we're dealing with the, the, the changes that are in place right now, what are the changes that are on the horizon? What's going to take this a step further? What's maybe going to maybe provide some guardrails uh, or is it forget about that kind of stuff? It is the wild West and it's staying that way. I think the guardrails eventually will be um, when college football transitions into a place where players are paid a salary. Um, we've seen Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, speculate about that in recent months. But at least for now, like the NCAA can't do a lot. Um, they have their hands tied by potential um, for legality reasons. Um, they can't really deal with NIL because um, they're afraid of getting sued. I don't see Congress getting to it anytime soon. It doesn't feel like a body that is making that a super big priority. Um, and with a split Congress, I don't think we're going to see a lot of movement on anything the next two years. Anyway, not a politics podcast. Um, but um, yeah, so I think we're just kind of in a place where for the next couple of years, it's just going to be like this. NIL will be largely unregulated. The transfer portal will continue to be wild. We've seen attempts by the NCAA to try to slow things down. Uh, it's not discussed as much, but this offseason, the NCAA did put in place a rule that says if you take a transfer, an undergraduate transfer, they have to remain on your roster on scholarship until the completion of their eligibility. That was to prevent schools from taking a player and running them off right away if they don't work out, um, which is fine. Like that's going to help slow down some movement, but because you're trying to restrict the demand instead of the supply. But even then, like a player still can transfer more than once and likely get a waiver. I know the one-time exemptions there, but I think we're closer to going to unlimited transfers as we are to restricting players from moving with waivers um, after their first time transferring. So I just think we're going to see a lot, lot more craziness on this front. The last note I wanted to finish on is, is we got to see Chop Robinson chasing around, uh, running around in, in Maryland's backfield. And, and it's so bizarre because they're coming into 2022 and he's kind of a centerpiece of their foundation. You think he's going to be there. And all of a sudden, he's playing in the same conference as an opponent. Um, when, when Christian Veyer enters the transfer portal, immediately I think of a few power, a Big Ten programs that could really maybe find a fit for him within their locker room. The interconference transfer and the ability to do that from spring ball to preseason camp. Wh what do you make of that? And is that something that that is is definitely sticking around? Because it is way different. That is something that was just when you transferred, you had to leave the conference. It was like, forget about staying in your own conference. Now you can go from one team in the division to the other and play against them in a matter of months. Oh, I just remember, I think I remember a story that somebody told me once that Bill Snyder blocked a Kansas State person for transferring. And then he handed him a list of like 56 schools he couldn't transfer to. Oh not only did he restrict within the conference, he restricted like every opponent within the next like five years. It was Potential like, future yeah. opponents. And yeah, it used to be like that. You could, yeah. you could just cross the names off the player's list and now you can't. Yeah, it's, it's different. But no, like I, I think we're in an era, like especially just like public opinion, where if you restrict um, a player's ability to do anything, especially in a sport where they're not, compensated necessarily um, outside of their name, image, and likeness. Like you're going to get a large amount of pushback and potentially sued. I, like legality, like is a very tricky subject for the NCAA right now. And I think they have their hands tied behind their backs in a lot of ways. 
some conferences have individual rules. Like for example, in the SEC, I think you have to transfer within the conference by like late March. I don't know the exact date off the top of my head, which is much earlier than what the NCAA cutoff would be, which I believe is at the end of May. But yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't, I think we're just going to keep seeing it. Like Lincoln Riley can't tell Chandler Morris, he can't go to TCU anymore. Like we're just not in that era of football. It, it's wild to me. Cause I think it, in the NFL, you're, you're also scouting your opponents and you're, and you're preparing for free agency and you want that list of names that maybe you want to pursue. Now you're doing that in conference play. Oh, you're playing in Rutgers. Well, if we really wanted Rutgers best player, what's stopping us from doing it? I mean, it's well, I, that kind of mindset, right? I mean, that that's what it, it, let's go find Rutgers best player in our in our study of our performance. Oh, it's this guy. Let's go target him in December. And I guess I guess all's fair in college football and, and there's the channels to do it now. Yeah, I mean, like that's just what's happening. Like there are college scouting departments now at a lot of schools, like a ton. Like Ohio State, for example, has a multi-person college scouting department, and their only job is to essentially put together scout like opposing tape and put together a board all year of like who you would want and it's not just big 10 opponents it's like everybody like yeah a lot of these schools right now will you'll take an area like let's say i live in texas so let's take the dallas fort worth area if you're a school in that area what you're probably going to do is before the season have a list of every single person who's come out of that area um and you're probably going to keep an eye on them and scout who would potentially be a take and who wouldn't be a take and have that list ready to go um for when you're going and the same thing if you're in orlando the same thing if you're in miami the same thing if you're in la like it would be there's no other way to really sort through those things now because there's such a compressed time period when the portal opens in december you have to be prepared so a ton of schools have advanced scouting like that and a ton of schools are thinking oh like he would look good on our roster if it came down to it so it's just where we're at well, we can always go down the rabbit hole in our conversation with you, Chris. Uh, always enjoy them. And uh, you can certainly follow Chris. I highly encourage you to do that. Not just follow him, but set him up for alerts here. Because whether it's Penn State or other programs or fascinating developments in the transfer portal, Chris has you covered for 247sports.com. Chris, really appreciate you taking some time. I know you've probably got like 80,000 emails and messages to, to address that have popped up and guys hitting the portal. So go get to it. Thanks, as always. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tyler. I really appreciate it. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks again to Chris Hummer for giving us some time here on what is shaping up to be a tremendously busy week for him. It's going to be a busy December, as always, for Brian Doan. The early signing period gets underway on December 21st. 
December 1st is the day that you are hearing this podcast, or we're into December at this point. So a lot to get into in a short period of time to figure out what awaits this 2023 Penn State recruiting class. There are some seats left at the table, and let's dive into that conversation right now with Brian Doan. Brian, it's little been a little while since we heard from you here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Always happy to have you on. Thanks, as always. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Always good to be on. And, uh, man, we're counting down those days to the 21st, right? That's right, and we'll see how long Team USA forces you to glance away from the recruiting trail, hopefully for a while longer. <laughs> I know you're repping for those watching on YouTube right now. You've got the apparel on. Uh, uh, let's get into it because uh, I teased this at the top of the episode. New crystal ball pick in for Penn State. When it's a 2023 crystal ball pick at this stage of the calendar, it's certainly notable. Can you dive into the thought process here? That went in on a Wednesday. Uh, folks are hearing this on a Thursday or later. Yeah, it's Joseph Mapoyi. Um St. Thomas More School in Oakdale. It's also where cornerback commit Zion Tracy is. Um, as I wrote, James Franklin's going to be at the school on Friday. This is not something new with Penn State and, and Joseph. He was at Archbishop Carroll when Penn State started getting involved with him. And people know that's, uh, you know, Nicholas Harbor's school. And, you know, Joseph came to the United States from the Congo to play basketball a little bit older, so he was not going to be able to play at Archbishop Carroll this past season. So we went up to St. Thomas More boarding school. Um, it's isolated in Connecticut, let's put it that way. And, and I was with him a few months ago up there. He looks great. You know, he's up to 245. Looks like he uh, – I know he spends a lot of time with the books, but looks like he also spent a lot of time in the weight room, practiced really well. And Penn State, he's what they want out of the edge guy – you know, and I'm not saying he's this guy, but if you want the comparison as far as some of the measurables, length, and just the overall look, it's Jason Awe to me. Um, and again, I'm not saying he's going to be a first-round pick like Jason or whatever, right? But this kid has so much ahead of him. Jason didn't start playing football until he got to Blair Academy, I think his junior year. Um, Joseph didn't start playing football until – what I guess would amount to his junior year because of the whole COVID situation. Um, he's a guy that values the academics, has been to a pair of whiteouts, has a great connection with the staff, not only James Franklin, but also D-line coaches. Uh, the mom who looks after him while he's in the States here, I guess his host mom, very high on Penn State. Um, so a lot of things are pointing that direction. It's been pointing that way for a while. I was just waiting to see what he was going to do official visit-wise after Thanksgiving. And right now he's he's got Penn State next weekend. He's still working on a Louisville one. Maybe another visit could get worked out. But, you know, everything points to Penn State right now. And it's schools that Penn State is not going to lose recruiting battles to some of these schools. And, and we'll get to some more 2023 talk, or some more uh, conversation in just a bit about uh, a potential 2023 uh, options, the guys who are not decided yet. Someone who's been committed for a while is Rodney Gallagher, certainly now at the forefront again for a lot of Penn State fans after he got back to Beaver Stadium last Saturday. By the time we were walking into our press conference, I think, with James Franklin, you had already written up an update on the Gallagher situation. So you're on the case here. You have been going back to before his initial commitment when, when he picked West Virginia. What's the latest with Gallagher, and what kind of a timeline should we realistically anticipate with this thing playing out? 
That's a great question. Just tell me what West Virginia is going to do with its AD. <laughs> What's happening with the coach at West Virginia, the coaching staff there. Um, there's a, there's some factors involved there. You know, don't forget early in the season, James Franklin and I believe it was assistant coach Terry Smith, one of the first weekends of the season went out to watch Rodney Gallagher play. Now, it helped that they were playing Quentin Martin, who's one of the top players in the region in the 24 class, but there was a purpose with going to that game. They could have gone to any number of games. They could have seen Quentin later in the season, and they said, hey, we need to see both of them. you got to remember Rodney's late mom went to Penn State. They're very familiar with the school. But his high school, Laurel Highlands in Uniontown, PA, it's a, it's a half hour from Morgantown, and that's a factor. He's involved in his community. That way his family can get to his games easily. He can come home if he wants to. He can help out in the offseason if he needs to. So there are some factors there. But, you know, Penn State for a long time, I, I really thought they were the school to beat. There's some talk of West Virginia, um, you know, doing some NIL stuff to help out players and, and prospects. And I, I think that played somewhat of a role. But as you get closer to the decision time and, and signing and the uncertainty of what's going on at West Virginia, I know one of the things Penn State's talking about is, you know, look, you'll have some NIL opportunities here. So don't let that be your determining factor. And if you do what you're supposed to do here, anything you make NIL money will pale in comparison to what you can do in the NFL. And, you know, you've heard it a lot, Tyler, I'm sure when, you know, cause I know you deal with some recruiting stuff too. They're looking, Penn state needs a big playmaker or receiver. And I think you saw that when Parker Washington went down, they really lost something dynamic at that position and they need to add to it. And they, you know, Rodney Gallagher forever, they've been telling him, Hey, you could be the next Jahan Dotson. And that's something, look, Rodney's a smart kid. Um, He's also a gifted basketball player who I think if he was three or four inches taller would play both sports in college, but he will focus on football. So there's a lot to consider, but, you know, I'm sure James Franklin will get an in-home visit with them. And so we'll see where it stands after that. Now, the key is, again, with West Virginia, we'll see what happens. And I know we're taping this and it's going the next day, so maybe this will be moot by then. But if West Virginia changes coaches, he's allowed another official there also. So just just some things to look at. You mentioned the need for a playmaker. I know Carmelo Taylor thinks he can be that kind of a guy at the next level, and he has soared since we last spoke to you on this podcast, Brian. What's your updated assessment of what Carmelo Taylor is as a football prospect? Because I still think we were basing a lot of this off the track and field season, some of the camp circuit stuff when we spoke to you last. Now he's got that senior season out there. What do you think about this young man? Yeah, I mean, more importantly, I was down to watch him practice, so I saw him live also. Um, you know, again, he's he's the Jahan Totson-type mold kind of kid. I think he's a kid that can have an impact in the return game, too, if Penn State wants him to do that. He's got incredible speed. I mean, watching him at practice, it's it's borderline unfair some of the times because when he wants to go, he just goes and nobody can keep up with him. Good. He had better ball skills in person than I saw on film. I like that aspect of it. He still has to work on his route running, getting in and out of breaks. But listen, when you when you run that fast, then he's talking about running like in the 10 fours or 10 threes or whatever, which, uh, okay, I guess 10, six, seven wasn't fast enough. But, um, you know, he he was explosive, dynamic, um, just so many things that you want out of a receiver. Now, he tells me he's not getting there until June. 
So he's not going to have spring practice. One of the big things with Carmelo is he's got to get in the weight room. And that's a tough balance because if you're trying to run that 10, 3, 10, 4 in track, you know, six pounds matters. So um, I don't know, you know, he's not going to make those weight room gains. I don't think he's a kid that's going to be able to come in and make a, a huge contribution early on. I think he can contribute early in certain spots if they really need him to. I think he's best served to redshirt, get bigger, stronger, learn the offense again since he's not planning on being there in the spring. But going down and seeing him validated a lot of the things that we had seen on tape and some of the track times. He's, he's just explosive and athletic and runs really, really fast, Tyler. Uh, he sure does. And, and, and looking at this class, um, they've got the quarterback coming in you've, you, from Iowa, a little bit lower uh, pedigree uh, term, in terms of Drew Aller, but so much focus is on what's happening in the trenches and what they're going to bring in. And now it's a matter of weeks, really, because Alex Birchmeyer, Javen Williams, and Anthony Donka have all confirmed they're going to be January enrollees. Uh, so excitement about those guys. Can you bring us up to speed on, on where you are with this offensive line group? I know Javen Williams continues to rise up the rankings. Birchmeyer has been a mainstay in the top 100 really since they debuted. Uh, and Anthony Donka continues to, to turn attention. So what kind of a threesome do they have here before we get to how they might add to it? Yeah, I mean, it's sensational, right? And, and I think it's really easy to sleep on Anthony Donka because of where he plays. Um, great job by Penn State finding him when a lot of other people didn't know about him. And having seen – now, I, I, I've seen him all live, right? So that helps, and, and I know you have. And I've seen him multiple times, not just at the Penn State camp. Anthony Donka bends really well. He's really raw, but he has length and he bends well. And he's going to have to continue to add strength. I mean, they all do, but him more so than the other two we're talking about, just because of he, he didn't spend a ton of time in the weight room. Um, I believe he goes to one school, plays football at another, or at least that's how it worked out at one point when it was COVID going on. So he has a ton of room to growth. It's going to take him a little longer to get on the field, but when he bends in his length, those are two great st uh, starting points when you're talking about offensive linemen. Birchmeyer, I mean, look, he's smart. He's athletic. I think it's really easy to overlook how good he is um, because he's been on board for so long, and so he's kind of out of the public eye. But you're talking about a kid who's also a state champ as a wrestler. His brother, I believe, he was wrestling at Navy. I still think he does. There's athleticism in the family. He's a smart kid. He offers position versatility, being able to play the guard spots. And if you need him to play right tackle, I bet he could do that as well. But he's kind of one of those maulers who can just really sink his hips and explode up into you. And of the three that we talk about here, I think he's the one that could probably get on the field the quickest, but that also depends on need. And then you have Javen Williams, which – you know, he's got a big game in the semifinals at Wyoming. They're playing Newman Goretti out of Philadelphia on uh, Saturday. Um, explosive, athletic, long. And it's funny because give credit to Pitt because Pitt is the one that found him and was on him early on. And then his tape was good as a junior. And then he started putting up these numbers in track and like throwing and in track and field that were just ridiculous. And so you start doing a little more digging and you know, the athleticism's there and, and why is the throwing events, especially the shot put important when you're doing football, it's explosion, it's footwork. It's a lot of stuff you need to be an offensive lineman. Um, you have to be able to bend when you're going to 
do some shot put because of, you know, just firing off and getting, what do they call it, the shot, right? So there's so much to like there. And then you watch his, his senior tape. And, look, he, he's not going up against a bunch of Division One kids, but – Man, he is mauling these kids he's playing against. It is, it's it's borderline unfair and comical all in the same. So I, I think with those three, they're, they're just fabulous players. Yeah, we've had Javen and Alex here on the show as guests. I, I know they're fired up to get to that that January arrival, and they're going to shake things up in a room that's bringing back a ton of talent. Olu Fashionu coming back, Hunter Norzad coming back, and uh, there's a lot of names on that list, and they're, they're going to add to the competition. A couple guys. Yeah, well, but are, but Tyler, I was yeah. going to say with offensive linemen coming in, look if if you're playing as a true freshman, that's usually not a good thing on the offensive line. I mean, there's there's some that can do it. You know, it, it takes some time. It's usually not a good thing because you want your offensive line to be a little older, more dominant together. So I, I, I hope they all redshirt, to be honest. In, in the case of Drew Shelton, it was because Olu Fashionu missed the final month of the season and he burned redshirt. He got experience playing left tackle. But the plan for Penn State was to get him to the finish line with that with that eligibility. Same with Vega Ione. They did it with him. And J.B. Nelson, by the way, they managed to, yeah. to preserve his redshirt, which was something. Um, speaking of, of, of offensive linemen staying there, that's been an area that the focus has been on as we're trying to figure out who's going to get in this class come wintertime. Uh, Nick Oliveira has, has a situation where Cincinnati's job – Opens up now. Uh, he, he's been committed there since the summer. Uh, a guy out of uh, New Jersey. Uh, he's, he's not a highly, highly rated tackle, but any tackle right now is piquing the interest of Penn State fans, and and they're curious about this kid. Any new intel on, on where they stand? I know they're among many programs who've been in communication since Cincinnati lost its head coach. Yeah, I mean, well, two things. I, I spoke with them uh, Tuesday night, and you know, he's getting offers. Speaking with a lot of schools about it. Um, I don't think he's going to stay at Cincinnati from talking to him, but he's still committed there. So, you know, until he's decommitted, he's committed, obviously. So you, you look at that. Um, I I think if you're Penn State, you know, they're, they're keeping an eye on him. He's at a clear view in, in um, what is it, Mullica Hill down there. Uh, I think we have him as an 86. By the time this goes, I, he's going to bump to an 88. He's had a good senior year, more athletic. He's got good length. He still has to be able to fill out his body in the weight room, and there's plenty of time for that. He has to continue to work on his flexibility. Um, but we'll see what happens there. I, I'm, I'd be mildly surprised if they offered. You know, the one I look at is the auto kid out of Key West, Florida. And look, man, I've told Andrew Ivins and our whole national recruiting team – Anytime you need me to go down there and scout that kid at Key West High, I am more than willing to go. And, and I think it should be one of those things where I don't think just one day down there would do it. It would probably be like a four or five day thing and then probably go back again to see how he's doing a few weeks later with progress. But, yeah, I think he's one of the kids to keep an eye on. And then you're going to keep an eye on some portal stuff, too. Yeah, I think they should make that an annual trip for you too, just so no diamonds get lost <laughs> in the rough. And and, and uh, Otto, yeah. that, that story that story is up at lions247.com, by the way. Tyler Calvaruso uh had some had some commentary and also some quotes uh from Otto about his outlook 
a kid has a bunch of Ivy League offers, by the way. Now he has a bunch of Power 5 offers on the table. Uh, Penn State wants to be one of those programs that hosts him. They are set to host Keyshawn uh, Blackstock, uh, who is considered, I believe, the top junior college uh, offensive lineman in our top in our 24-7 sports rankings. Uh, last year, uh, four-star off, uh, offensive lineman J.B. Nelson came in from the junior college level. Um, at a Coffeeville Community College, this isn't the one in the backyard, the Lackawanna College connection. Um, but but do you have any kind of a read on this one, Brian? I'm not sure how, how tightly you've covered uh, Black Blackstock's recruitment, but the guy who's got 40-plus uh, FBS offers and now Penn State going to get him on campus if things go according to plan the second weekend of December. Yeah, and that's a huge time for them to get him because they're going to have a lot of other visitors then. Also a chance to get some of the commits up maybe on unofficial visits. Um, yeah, he he's listen, these JUCO kids, they're going to places that they think they can play quickly get on the field and the better chance they have to get into the playoff they're, they're going to take it and yeah there's, there's room for him at Penn State there's room for him to compete for quick playing time so it's a matter of like you said he's not at Lackawanna which is kind of like a, a feeder to Penn State if they have a really good player he's either going to Penn State and if he's not going to Penn State it usually means they didn't really push for him um, but I, I, I think they need to show him how important he is, his path to get on the field, and just make him comfortable around the players in the program. So it, it's a it's a huge visit, and you don't go look for junior college players unless you feel like there's a big need there. I'm going to ask you this about the offensive line room at Penn State. Last year, they signed two guys. One of them left Nate Bruce pretty quickly. This year, they brought in three freshmen. One of them, Malik McNeil, is a part of the program during his first year on campus. Um, does this feel like an area where Penn State needs to shore things up? We've talked about how they've got the performance on the field. They've got some bubbling depth that's very obvious, and they've addressed some injuries in November. But does it feel like this class is going to need to kind of be a bit of a Band-Aid because of how the last two cycles have gone in terms of numbers at the freshman level? No, because you have the portal and you're, you know, the way it works now is you can bring in some extra guys because there's no more 25 limit. You still have to get to 85 by training camp, but that always works itself out. But there's no limitation. So it actually affords you the opportunity to maybe take some kids that, you know, you could view as projects that you're not sure how they're going to work out. And this wasn't a surprise that it happened. So, you know, when you take a Malik McNeil last year, you knew if it wasn't going to work out that it wasn't going to cost you against the 25. I, I think they're healthy on the offensive line. I think they have a, a really good offensive line. It, Tyler, it goes back to like the beginning of the year for me when I, I think, and, and you would know this better, but my memory is that Penn State wasn't in the top 25 in the preseason Correct. rankings. And I was like, wait, what? I mean, they had all these pieces in place. And I understand people pointed to what the record was the previous two years. But there were a lot of other factors, including COVID a couple years ago, that really um, compounded some, some problems there just in terms of practice time and health. But I thought they were really good. And, and the offensive line, for the most part, was good this year. And I don't feel like you're losing a ton. So I feel like the offensive line room is healthy. Yeah, no, it is. It, it, it's there. And, and you just wonder about some of those developmental players toward the bottom rung of that ladder. Um, and, and we'll learn a lot more about them here in, in the spring yeah. camp and all that. And, 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 and there's, nothing, yeah, and there's yeah. nothing wrong with a third-year 
sophomore or a fourth year junior finally getting on the field. I mean, that's how it happens. But in this in this era of now, 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 it's like, well, wait a minute. He was a he was a big recruit as a freshman, and now he's a sophomore. Why isn't he on the field? Yo, man, if you're Penn State, you're a top ten program. You have really good players in the program. It's not easy to get on the field. We're going hour by hour with the recruiting coverage right now, Brian, this close to signing day. But as things stand right now, uh, Penn State's really close to the finish line with a few talented Florida players. Uh, they've got King Mack, Elliott Washington, Conrad Hussey. You go to Kari Nelson down in Alabama, a guy who's got the SEC interest. Um, and then Daniel Harris. Uh, they seem to be in a very good spot with him. A guy who's drawn physically some, some comparisons to Joey Porter Jr. at cornerback, out of Gulliver Prep in Miami. Maybe he joins this group. If they're able to keep that current group on tack and potentially add to it, what does it say in this day and age where NIL and all these promises are being made and you got some interesting things happen on the Florida college recruiting landscape, if they're able to keep these guys in pocket and get them through December? Well, I think it says two things. First of all, with Harris, um, you know, we're, we've been waiting for his commitment the next day for two weeks now, ever since he decommitted <laughs> I think, from Georgia. But, but it is what it is. But, yeah, I mean, listen – it depends what a kid is looking for, what a family wants. And, and you know, I, I think it's naive to sit here and, and say Penn State isn't active in the NIL stuff. They are. Other places happen to put it out more than maybe Penn State does. And I'm not saying Penn State's on a par with some of the top programs like maybe in Miami. But, you know, families also – you know, we, we paint this picture sometimes of the kids going to the highest bidder, and, and that does happen, and, and it probably happens more than people think, but there still is a tremendous amount of value placed on education with Penn State and the alumni pipeline, the ability to play in front of 100,000 people on most home weekends, the community that you have at Penn State, the feel of the coaching staff, and the ability to be developed to play in the NFL. I mean, you know, if you're doing it the right way, yeah, maybe you're going to go to another school and you're going to make a couple hundred thousand up front that maybe you wouldn't get at another school. But if you make the right pick and if you're good enough, that at the end of the day, that, that's going to seem like peanuts compared to what you can make in the NFL. Another defensive back I wanted to get to, and you brought him up earlier, uh, Brian, is Zion Tracy. I think he was still uncommitted when we had you on the podcast last. We had spoken a little bit about what he accomplished on the on the camp circuit here at Penn State. Um, since he has committed, you've had a chance, I'd assume, to kind of freshen up on what he's about as a prospect. Uh, what's his profile like right now as he gets ready to make the move to Penn State? Because he's one of those guys, because of the rating, because of the late emergence, I think a lot of fans genuinely, they look at the commit list and they're probably wondering a little bit about Zion Tracy. Well, yeah, I mean, he's another kid that when I was at St. Thomas More, I got to watch him practice and move around. I've, I've seen him on the camp setting a few times too. So kid I'm familiar with, he's, he's not the biggest. He's got to get in the weight room and continue to build there. He's a post-grad kid, so um, – you're going to want, you know, he's going to be a little further along some in some of the skill development than maybe your typical high school senior would be. Um, but that said, at St. Thomas More, they do play some college JV teams as part of their schedule. So there's that uh, kid that runs well, has really loose hips. I remember watching him up at Springfield College in June at a camp and I was like, 
man, this kid can really open up and turn and run with the receiver and showed speed and had really good ball skills. And look at my list of players and it's Zion Tracy because it was the first time I had seen him live. And I, I kind of go into those camps trying not to know who some of the kids are just to see who jumps out before putting a name to him. And I mean, he was sensational, but he's got to get stronger to be able to handle, you know, big 10 receivers, especially at the top of routes, um, be active in the running game. But, you know, the idea that if he's not a four star, he's not a good player. I, I just, I always find that infuriating, frustrating, laughable, comical, everything. I mean, he's a good player. I mean, if he's a four-star, that just means, okay, we think he's going to go to the NFL. If he's a high three-star, we think if things go the right way, he's going to get to the NFL. And, I mean, not every player on Penn State or Ohio State or Michigan or Alabama go to the NFL. And so you're going to have some that maybe not are the four-star level, but it doesn't mean they're bad players. One other name I wanted to get to on the commitment list here, um, because you spoke very highly of him prior to his senior season. He got the bump up into top 24-7 status. Now he's right on the cusp of top 100 status. Uh, Tony Rojas, I felt like every time I saw him featured in a headline from his senior year, it was a ridiculous stat, <laughs> stat line. Uh, hell of a running back at the high school level. We're going to see him play defense here at Penn State. But, I mean, he put together another worldly senior campaign from the looks of it. Listen, when you when you look at what a great, great high school football player is, that's Tony Rojas. He does it on defense. He runs the ball. He can catch the ball. He never comes off the field. He never complains. He plays every play hard. I mean, he you know, in high school, a lot of times you can take a play off. And I'm not saying he doesn't – I mean, he does – you have to, right? If you're on a play every time, if if you're just running out to the left flat, you may not be busting it if the plays a dive through the middle or something, but he plays hard. He's wildly productive and he still has to fill out his frame. I mean, I don't, I don't know if he's a kid that's going to be ready as a freshman because he's still going to have to add 20, 25 pounds. But man, when you look at where that kid, when you look at where that kid's going to be in two or three years, Man, oh, man, he is so athletic and so football savvy, great football IQ. He's physical. He, Like I said, he, he plays and gets hit a lot, um, didn't get injured in high school really, just so many things to like about him. And he's a positive kid who always wants to continue working hard. It's not like he's like, hey, yeah, I'm really good, so that's I'm good with that. He's not going to tell you how good he is and – you know, he, he's going to keep working. And it's great because one of the cool things that we get to do, I mean, we invited him to the All-American Bowl and to listen to how grateful he was, was sensational. And what I'm excited about that is the rest of our recruiting team, well, at least the guys who are going to that game, I'll be an Under Armour, they're going to see him live and they're going to be like, yeah, now I know why you spent four or five months stumping for him before we moved him to four stars. 
Two other visitors I wanted to circle back to from yeah. Beaver Stadium last weekend. You talked about Rodney Gallagher. Let's look ahead to the 2024 class because Cooper Cousins is getting lonely, Brian Doan. And there's a couple of offensive linemen out there I know he would like to to build something with like they've done in the 2023 cycle. Kevin Haywood from here in the state of Pennsylvania. And then Liam Andrews, who you and I watched alongside each other, uh, really dominate at a Penn State prospect camp this summer when given his reps. So uh, where is Penn State in each of those recruitments and how? How much of a priority do those two need to be for Penn State in this cycle? Um, priority, I guess they're a priority from the standpoint of they've been to campus multiple times. They fit what Penn State wants. They fit the type of um, family that Penn State wants to recruit. Also, you, you look at Kevin Haywood, the kid out of Archbishop Wood in Warminster, PA. His sister goes to Penn State. Um I think they're in really good position with him. I think right now the big competition is Tennessee, which the plan now is to go see Tennessee again in January. I think, you know, from talking to Kevin and, and some people close to him, I think they're going to see what happens in December and January once his junior film starts making the rounds. Keep in mind, this was his first year playing offensive line, so he's going to be new to a lot of people. I think he wants to get out and experience some stuff in the spring. I do not see – that ending quickly. Liam Andrews is a little different. Um, yeah, you and I saw him, and wow, just amazing how it worked out that of the five guys in the offensive line, four of them were Penn State commits, and Liam Andrews was the other for the last set of reps. I mean, never could have figured that would happen. What what dumb luck. Um, but he, again, is everything that Penn State recruits. He's at the Dexter School. I was with him in October. Um, he he went on and on about Penn State. I think there's some schools he still wants to get a look at. The most, the place he feels the most comfortable at is Penn State. Um, he had a good visit this when he was over there for the weekend. My understanding from talking to everybody is Penn State feels good about where it's at, but there's still work to be done. I think Liam's going to be one of those guys that you know maybe makes a visit or two in December, maybe in January. I could see him ending it a little bit sooner than Kevin Haywood, but I don't think anything's coming down the pike. I, I could be wrong, but right now, as we sit here today, and I've asked those questions, um, there's nothing coming down the pike with him. All right, so we've covered some ground 2024, 2023. Quickly, just looking back to 2022, a couple guys that you got to know really well as they were developing young prospects, Nick Singleton, Abdul Carter. Everybody knows him around here now, Brian. You know that. Nick, uh, Abdul, take one or the other first and then move on to the next. I'd love to hear some kind of moments where you knew they were going to be special and, and what you've seen from afar as they have gone gone on through some really great things as freshmen. Nick Singleton, right as we were sitting down here to announce, Brian, I'm not sure if you saw this, Big Ten I freshman did. of the year. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we'll start with Abdul Carter. Um, I had heard the stories about Abdul, about how athletic he was, how well he ran, how well he moved. It was during COVID. And so you hear the stories, especially from my Philly guys, but you want to see it for yourself. So I think the second game of what would have been his junior season, I took a drive. I'm based in New Jersey, right? I think people know that. I, I live close by to Rutgers just to give people an understanding of where I am. And I drove to Northeast 
Pennsylvania, like way up in the corner where you have to drive through the mountains of North Jersey to get through. I think they played Delaware Valley and Milford PA, which I didn't even know there was one there. It was me, the AD, and the assistant AD sitting in the stands because they didn't allow any fans there. Um, yeah, because of COVID, right? And a bunch of the LaSalle kids fans came up and they lined the outside of the fence looking in. And I'm watching Abdul Carter, and he is, like, lightning quick. He is hitting the gap. And then they had a kid, um, Delaware Valley had a kid, I think, wound up going to Old Dominion, kind of like a linebacker running back. And the kid playing running back, kid breaks free. It's like 20 yards down the field. And Abdul Carter gets off a block from the opposite side of the line of scrimmage and chases the kid down in just – it was ridiculous. He, he got him with like in 20 yards of when he started going. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And then I met Abdul after the game, and I'm like, oh, this kid's huge. I mean, you run like that and move like that. And so that was kind of like my moment for him, um, j- just seeing how he was just so much bigger and faster than everybody on the field. So that was my moment with him. And, and the moment with Nick Singleton is – and it is crazy. So I believe it was his sophomore year. They invite him. They used to do – I don't. they don't do it anymore. They used to have the opening finals, and they, they did it in Oregon for a while. Then they moved it down to Texas for a year or two. And this kid tweets out that he's going to the opening finals, and he's a sophomore. And I'm like, I don't even know if – maybe he had an offer or two. And I'm like, what are you kidding me? I never heard of this kid. And so I hit him up, and I I talked to him. And, and Nick, listen, he it was like he had never been recruited, even when he was committed. He was so good to deal with. He was no ego, always helpful. He was awesome. And I remember calling him the first time, and he had these ridiculous testing numbers, and that's why he went to the opening. And I remember hanging up the phone going, well, that's probably the first interview that kid's ever done, and he's got a long way to go um, in that. I, I can't imagine he's like this beast on the field because he was so reserved and quiet talking to him. I popped on that tape after I talked to him. I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, he, it, it was the same deal. He, it wasn't that he had a big run. It was he chased down a play from like 25 yards back and chased it down, and, and a guy who – runs one of our sites in the SEC, calls me up like a couple days later. He goes, hey, what do you know about this kid? And I said, well, I'll just check out his huddle. And like he called me back maybe five minutes later. He goes, did you see that play? Where, yeah, where he chased him down. Yeah. And so then you see, you start understanding what his measurements are, and you you just see how different these kids look. And, and Tyler, for me, and I say this all the time, and, and you know, you've been to the camp circuit. You understand. You you worked in football programs right and so there's times where you try to make yourself believe a kid can be a player it's like okay i see this aspect i see that aspect what does this school say you kind of try to make yourself believe it man when you watch nick singleton you were like oh yeah all right that's right yes that's that's what they look like so it, it was pretty early on with him um and then he just got better and better now with 12 touchdowns through 12 college games, a bowl game to come. It's going to be another big spotlight for him and Abdul Carter, who, I mean, all due, due respect to Nick Singleton, I don't think there was a freshman on the football field playing better in November than Abdul Carter was for, for Penn State. 
Well, it's funny because there was some talk, you know, is, is he going to wind up at Penn State? Is he not going to wind up at Penn State? And this was kind of like the spring of what would be the end of his junior year, getting ready to go into the summer of his senior year. And there's all this talk, is he going to go here? Is he going to go there? And, you know, then he shows up at Penn State and runs like a 4-3-9 and a 4-4-1 at camp. And it's like, yeah, all of a sudden he was going to wind up at Penn State. And by the way, I, re I remember you making it very clear that you felt like Catron Allen was being a bit undersold, maybe uh, maybe underappreciated by by the fan base when they were reviewing this recruiting class because you got this big shiny new toy, a couple of them, in fact, with Drew and Nick in the backfield. And oh, by the way, Catron Allen actually had more snaps than seven of the last nine games. He finishes with over 800 rushing uh, rushing yards. He's at 10 total touchdowns. So got to give you some credit there because you said he's going to come in, make some noise as well. You know, it's funny, Tyler, because and, – and he's a kid that I saw early in his career and I liked him a lot because he was, he was bigger. He trimmed some weight when he got to Penn State or right before. And he was bigger and he moved well. So he just knew he had the athleticism and the feet. But it's funny. I was talking to one of my guys in Philadelphia and they were talking about Sam Brown, the running back at – Rutgers and who had a good year until he hurt his foot and and I think there he's going to be a really good running back he's former teammate of Abdul Carter and they're like man I'm surprised Sam didn't wind up at Penn State and I'm like well you know they got Katron Allen and Nick Singleton I mean you know how many running backs you want them to take yeah, pretty, a pretty darn good tandem right there. Brian, we yeah. appreciate the the insight as always. We'll have you back on again. Uh, let you get back on the, the recruiting grind. And uh, thanks thanks as always. Whenever you hop on the podcast, I learn a lot. I know our listeners feel the same way. Hey, get ready for Saturday, 10 a.m. against the Netherlands. Well, we, I'll be watching. I know you will be watching very close. I'll be following your tweets. I'll have you on high alert. So uh, take care, man. <laughs> Thank you. All right, good stuff from Brian Doan. Earlier we had Chris Armour to talk transfer portal, and I feel like now we're pretty well set the stage for what is going to be a tremendously busy, eventful, whatever you want to apply to it, December of college football action away from the field. We've still got to focus on one more game on the field. By the time we get to you with our next podcast, we are going to know the identity of Penn State's bowl destination. That'll become clear to us on Sunday. When that is known, we'll have full coverage at lines247.com, where right now you can catch out the, the latest on some of the recruiting conversations that we just had with Brian Doan. He broke down uh, his crystal ball pick. Tyler Calvaruzzo has intel up from a new offensive line offer. That's all over at lines247.com, where right now you can subscribe 30% off for an annual VIP membership or $1 for one month. Take a peek right now. It's a good month to do it because there's going to be a lot to report on. Uh, Christian Veyer, as we alluded to in that conversation uh, with Chris Hummer, will be hitting the transfer portal in December. That means he's moving on from the program, and that means Jackson Smolik coming in in January will be one of three quarterbacks on the projected 2023 roster. You're going to have a sophomore in Drew Aller, a redshirt freshman in Bo Perbula, and then a true freshman who, again, will be here next month uh, in Jackson Smolik. So, a lot of coverage on that, continued coverage on what the fallout is from Olu Fashionu's decision to return to Penn State, really boosting this offensive line depth. Uh, plenty of coverage on hoops as well at lines247.com. For now, we're going to step aside. We're going two episodes per week, so that's going to do it for this week, barring some kind of big breaking news. If that happens, we'll be back quickly. Uh, but for now, stepping aside, I am Tyler Donahue. Thanks again to Brian and Chris. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.
When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.